I'm Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects, Episode 2, Gold Plates. Now, it should be noted that many of the episodes throughout this series will overlap each other chronologically. In episode one, we discussed the years 1823 through 1827, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the years 1823 to 1830. So Joseph encounters the gold plates and eventually recovers them during the same time frame that he discovered the seer stone. To begin, in 1799 in Egypt, a French soldier under the command of Napoleon Bonaparte came upon a 1,700-pound piece of rock that has come to be known as the Rosetta Stone. If you're familiar with the story of the Rosetta Stone, you know how important it's been in coming to translate ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. So the story goes that after discovery, the Rosetta Stone passed into the hands of the English and it took almost 20 years to finalize the initial translations. Now the Rosetta Stone has become a priceless modern day key to understanding ancient Egyptian. So consider all the knowledge and understanding of ancient Egypt that has become available to us due to that one important discovery. Now, suppose during that same time period, a record was found here in the Americas that contained the origin of some of the ancient inhabitants of this continent. Imagine it told about the people, the language, the culture, the governments, the modes of worship, and on top of it all, it confirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Bible and even detailed his visit to the people here in the Americas. How much would that discovery mean to us? And to one-up the Rosetta Stone, Imagine the record was translated not in 20 years, but in 65 days by an uneducated 21-year-old boy. That is the cliff note version of the gold plates. So, what is the story of the gold plates? Well, the year is 1823, one year after the original translations of the Rosetta Stone are made finalized. And in Manchester, New York, Joseph Smith is 17 years old. Again, like we said in the last podcast, there are yet no Mormons and there is no Mormon church. Joseph Smith has no formal education. He can't go to school because he and everybody else in the family are fully employed to pay for the farm that his father bought. So he and his brothers are working full time. They're clearing plots of land for the neighbors. They're digging wells and they are working a harvest on their own land. Although Joseph told his family and friends about the visit he'd received from God and Jesus Christ three and a half years previous to this, he had had no spiritual manifestation since that time. So Joseph said that on September 21st, he waited until the entire family had fallen to sleep and then kneeled down to pray to God to discover what his standing was before the Lord. Joseph explains that while he was praying, a light began to grow brighter and brighter in his room until he saw a being standing in the air by his bedside. Joseph said that this being introduced himself as Moroni, an angel, and that he'd come from God and that God had a work for Joseph to do, and that Joseph's name was to be known for good and evil among all the nations, kindreds, and tongues. Now, here is the important part. Moroni told Joseph that there were gold plates deposited in a hillside near his home, and that they told the origin and history of some of the ancient inhabitants of the Americas, and that they also contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the story of Christ's ministry to the Americas. 
Joseph said Moroni then showed his mind where the plates were hidden on the tall hill by his home, and that he was commanded to show them to nobody or he'd be destroyed. To close the vision, the angel told Joseph that Satan would tempt him with the gold plates because of the poverty that his family was going through, but that he was to only focus on the glory of God. Now, Moroni leaves, but comes back three additional times over the next 24 hours to share the same message with Joseph and to ensure that the message is really set in. So the next day, Joseph promptly goes to the hill near his house to find the spot Moroni had shown him in his mind. He finds it and says he found a large rock, and after digging the earth around it and removing it, uh, Joseph found a box containing the plates and other objects. Now, side note, some of those objects were additional seer stones called the Urim and Thummim. Spoiler alert, they may be the subject of a future podcast. Now, Joseph goes to grab the plates, but he cannot touch them. Moroni then again appears and tells Joseph he's not ready to take the plates and to come back one year later on the same date. So Joseph comes back the next year and Moroni still won't let him take the plates. It ends up being four years to the date when Moroni finally allows Joseph to take the gold plates. Now, why the long wait? Well, during this time period, Joseph's family can't keep up with the mortgage and they eventually lose the farm. As Joseph was doing his part to pay the bills, I can only imagine the thoughts that must have crossed his mind, knowing that there were solid gold plates buried a few miles from his home. But we must remember the angel told Joseph he was only to focus on the glory of God. So no gold to save the family farm. Now, it should be noted that Joseph's entire family completely supported him and his story about the gold plates. The night after his failed attempt to recover the plates the first time, his brother William said that after they heard the story from Joseph, they all melted to tears and believed everything he said. And so here Joseph has probably made his first converts in what will be the future Mormon church. A few months after this, um, his brother Alvin actually contracts a fatal disease, and some of his last words to Joseph were, be a good boy and recover the record. So the year is 1827, and Joseph finally has the gold plates that the angel Moroni told him about four years previous to this time. Now, what did the plates look like? Joseph explains that they were about six inches thick altogether, and each individual page was about six inches by eight inches, and that each page contained Egyptian writings. Now, the translation of the Book of Mormon is to begin, but it's clear that Joseph doesn't know exactly how this process is to take place. So many friends and family members come to call upon Joseph and to hear the story of the gold plates, and one of those is Martin Harris. Now, Martin Harris knows a scholar in New York who actually works at Columbia College named Charles Anton. So Joseph copies a number of the engravings on a piece of paper, which he then gives to Martin, who delivers it um, to New York to Charles Anton, who then pronounces the translation or the, the inscriptions as correct, uh, more so than any he had ever seen, according to Martin Harris. And he even wrote a note certifying that the characters were true. But when Martin reported that the plates came from an angel, uh, Professor Anton promptly tore up the certificate and denied the possibility of any such manifestations. Professor Anton then asked Martin to bring him the record. And when Martin replied that 
He could not because the record was sealed. Uh, Professor Anton then said he cannot read a sealed book. Joseph and the family and Martin Harris took this as a fulfillment of Isaiah 29. It says, A book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. So the date is now April 12th, 1828, and Joseph knows that he must do the translation himself. So with Martin Harris working as a scribe, and at times Emma, Joseph's wife as well, Joseph begins the translation. So how does this work? Well, Joseph and Martin would sit down at a table. They would hang a sheet between the two of them. And Joseph, using the Urim and Thummim almost as glasses up against his eyes, he would look at the plates and dictate to Martin the things that he was reading. Martin then uh, wrote the first 116 pages of manuscript from the gold plates. So just a quick side note, Martin Harris's wife at this time is starting to get agitated that he's spending so much time with Joseph Smith and not attending to their business and the farm. So Martin, feeling that he needs to prove the truthfulness of this work, petitions Joseph to let him take these 116 pages of manuscript to show her and some additional people. Joseph says no, but Martin keeps working on him and Joseph prays about it and the answer is still no. Uh, but that's not enough for Martin, who keeps working on Joseph, so Joseph finally concedes. However, after some time, Martin does not return with 116 pages. When they finally meet together again, Martin is almost broken. He's lost the initial 116 pages of manuscript. To further our problem here, Moroni then proceeds to take the gold plates from Joseph for not listening to what God prompted him to do. Joseph is now completely lost. Um, at this point, and feels he's fumbled away his calling and his gift as a seer. So after a period of time of being completely heartbroken, Joseph is repenting and praying to God and receives another revelation, which is actually recorded in the Mormon Church's Doctrine and Covenants. Um, and it reads, Remember, God is merciful. Therefore, repent of that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment which I gave you. And thou art still chosen and art again called to the work. So Moroni brings back the plates and the work of translation is to continue. Now, Martin can no longer be the scribe for Joseph. So Joseph prays that God will help him find a new scribe. And almost the very next day, onto the scene arrives Oliver Cowdery. Now, Oliver Cowdery was a teacher at that time. He'd heard the story of Joseph and the plates. Um, and he approached Joseph, and two days later, he is now acting full-time as Joseph's scribe. So between uh, April 7th and June 30th of 1829, they proceeded to translate the rest of the Book of Mormon. They then filed the copyright for what would be the Book of Mormon. It was secured in the Federal District Court in New York. And the copyright application used the full text of the Book of Mormon's title page as the legal description of the contents of the book. Now that title page came from the very last uh, page from the gold plates. So we know they had translated the last portion of the gold plates. So the translation is now completed and the angel Moroni then returns to Joseph and takes the gold plates from him once and for all. So was Joseph Smith the only person to ever see the gold plates? No. Um, Towards the end of the translation of the gold plates, they came upon a portion 
Um, that said that other people in this day and age would be allowed to see the plates. So Joseph asked God and three witnesses and eight witnesses. So Peter Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and Martin Harris, and a few other people were allowed to actually see, feel, and touch the plates themselves. They wrote down their testimony of seeing the gold plates, and that is actually found at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. An interesting note here is a few of these people actually left the Mormon church um, in later years, but none of them ever recanted their testimonies as having held and seen the gold plates. To finish, what was the purpose and the object of the gold plates? I think a lot of people would believe Joseph Smith and his story if the plates were still around and available to be examined, so I'm going to speculate on two answers here. First off, the plates seem to thrust Joseph Smith into the role of seer and prophet. After his vision of God and Jesus Christ when he was 14 years old, Joseph didn't seem to be aware that he'd be founding this church. It wasn't until Moroni arrived with the plates and the work to be done that this seemed to really clarify to him his role. The plates also played a huge role in the beginnings of the church itself. For example, as Joseph and Oliver were translating portions um, that detailed Christ's visit to the Americas, um, it explained how Christ gave authority to baptize to certain people. Now, this got Joseph and Oliver thinking. Uh, they stopped the translation process and asked God where that authority was on earth. And they explained that they received additional heavenly visitations from John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, who laid their hands on Joseph and Oliver's head and restored that same authority uh, for them to baptize. So they then baptized each other, and at this point, they began to baptize all who believed them, thus truly beginning this Mormon movement. Now, secondly, on the role of the plates, I think the plates were more for Joseph than the rest of the world. If you don't know the story of Joseph Smith, in later years, he'll be murdered by a mob for organizing this church um, and the things he says he's been instructed to teach. I think the plates helped Joseph truly steal his resolve for the work and the trials that are coming his way before the bullets finally arrive. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast on the gold plates. If you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at Joe, J-O-E, H-O-M-C, History of Mormon Church at gmail.com. Thank you.